Recovery Elevator, episode 202. Because in my mind, sobriety is just a peace of mind. It's a calm, serene sense of being without substances. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Warren. He's 40 years old. He's from Martinsville, Virginia, and he's been sober since November 6th, 2018. During his interview, he says, don't believe everything you think. Tomorrow, I'll be launching our third private unsearchable Facebook group. All signups starting January 1st to January 31st will be placed in this new group where you will also have access to the forum, which is located outside of Facebook. If you're needing extra accountability, support, and if you like the feeling of, I'm not the only one going through this, then Cafe RE is for you. These groups are capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy, and there is so much love and encouragement in these groups. For the entire month of January, you can use the promo code 2019 for 75% off your first month. After that, it's just $19 per month. Again, the promo code is 2019-2019, and this is only for the month of January. Happy New Year's Eve, everybody. Guys, got breaking news. You don't have to drink today. In fact, over the years, I've met several people whose sobriety date was December 31st. You can either have a hangover on the first day of the year, or you can wake up feeling refreshed. It's totally up to you. Deep down inside, at the core evolutionary level, we arrive on this planet fully equipped to live a happy life without any external substances, especially alcohol. Here are 12 reasons why sober is better and why it's a good idea to get the new year started off right. Okay, here we go. Let's get started. Number one, it's time to look your best or continue looking your best. In Cafe RE, I see before and after pics posted all the time and oh my goodness are the transformations incredible. Within 30 to 60 days of quitting drinking, you'll have people pull you aside and say, what's your secret? You must be eating at the new vegan restaurant next door, and are you sipping on pure kale juice? I want to be clear. This statement has nothing to do with shedding pounds. I've seen people go up to their healthy, beautiful weights. I've seen the color of people's skin change. I've seen smiles return to faces. Number two, feel your best. More important than looking your best externally, you'll start to feel your best internally. I remember when I was drinking, the first 10 to 20 seconds when I woke up in the morning were intimidating. I knew I was going to feel less than average. Upon waking, I was afraid to fully assess the amount of damage I had done to my central nervous system the night before. The most important catalyst to feeling your best starts with sleep. While drinking, there was no quality sleep. If I could summarize how I feel in sobriety with one word, that would be rested. Number three. Alcohol can fix things you didn't know were broken. Within time, you'll start to notice issues, external and internal, slowly start to fade away. These could be health issues or turbulent relationships with loved ones or coworkers. I never was a long distance runner. I didn't think I had the genetics to do it. I would tell myself that I'm built for quick bursts of speed, like a cheetah. In sobriety, my normal one to three mile runs turned into five, seven, and even a 23 mile ridge run race, a year three in sobriety. Number four, make the most of your time spent on this beautiful rock. Human beings are awake an average of 15 hours and 30 minutes per day. Make all the time spent here great. I remember towards the tail end of my drinking, the first six to eight hours of every day were blah at best. I'd then turn a corner and say, okay, I'm starting to feel better. 
I then turn another corner and say, I'm feeling good. Today is a good day. Unfortunately, at that same moment, I'd also say, let's take a detour from the present moment and start drinking. No moss. Reason number five, you're going to build better relationships. The opposite of addiction is connection. And while we're drinking, we're not connecting. We may think imprinting our ass on a bar stool for hours at a time helps us build lifelong friendships that will endure the test of time, but that's not the case. Conversations with friends with the absence of alcohol are always more enjoyable. They're authentic. In addition, when we quit drinking, it will become clear who we need to spend more time with and who we need to spend less time with. Number six, what will return is more confidence. I had this feeling as a kid, and I think most of us had it at some time in our life, which is, I can do anything I put my mind to. That feeling is better than any drink, drug, adrenaline rush, etc. In sobriety, you'll find your inner voice saying things like, I think I can do this, which transitions into, I can do this, to eventually, I am doing this. This state of mind was gone when I was drinking, and welcome back. Number seven, in sobriety, you're going to have a whole hell of a lot less fear. The underlying level of fear in your life will drastically be reduced. You'll be less afraid. You'll stop making decisions based off fear. You'll be more proactive in life instead of reactive. If we are constantly making decisions based on fear, we aren't moving forward in life. Number eight, you'll save a shit ton of money. According to the Recovery Elevator Sobriety Tracker, I have saved $37,486 since I quit drinking. This isn't chump change found under a couch cushion. That's a lot of money. This past April, I closed on a house on 1.5 acres outside of town. I'm surrounded by mountains, across the street from a 1,200-acre dairy farm, and the sunsets are epic. Down payment required for this house was roughly the same amount I saved from drinking. This would have never happened if I was drinking. Number nine. You'll find yourself living more in the present moment. You'll find yourself saying, what is this? This thing right here. This thing that I'm hyper aware of that I never seem to notice before. It must be the present moment, which is all we have. When we live in the present moment, depression, which is the past, and anxiety, which is the future, fade away. Number 10, we are going to be avoiding unnecessary disasters. You won't be ruining your cousin Mindy's wedding, or you won't park your car in your neighbor's pool. It seemed like once a year I did something I deeply regretted. At first, it was making an ass out of myself at a party, but as the drinking progressed, the consequences became more catastrophic, like a DUI while driving to work in 2014. It's nice to put substantial distance between me and those tragic events in life. Number 11. You'll be able to create the future you want. I thought I could make the life I realized a reality while I was drinking, but this wasn't the case. Those grandiose goals and plans I projected in my future during my drunken states never even reached a whiteboard when I was sober. As long as I was drinking, the tires of life were spinning in the sand, and towards the tail end of my drinking, the tires completely flew off. This is where sobriety gets exciting. The life transitions that I've seen take place are incredible. There's a guy named Patrick who attended the Peru trip, and in sobriety, he has sold part of his shares in his restaurant group, Purchased one of those souped-up Sprinter vans with Scandinavian interior finishes, bought like a 50-mountain ski pass, and is living the life he's always wanted to live. Anything is possible in sobriety. Number 12, you'll start to make healthy memories. Within time, you'll start to create new, fun, and exciting memories. I'll be honest, getting sober was a challenge, to say the least, but in the past four years, I've had some incredible memories and met some amazing people. 
Several of these memories are from recovery elevator meetups. Some of them are from epic sunrises with just myself and my standard poodle, Ben. It's also a compilation of the good, smaller memories, because it's the little things that count in life. And before we hear from Warren, let's hear from our sponsor today, ZipRecruiter. You know what's smart? Kicking off 2019 by planning out which roles your business needs to hire for. Another thing that's smart is figuring out who you need to hire to take your business to the next level in 2019. It's smart to assemble the best team possible for this upcoming year. You know what else is smart? Starting the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply for your job, so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. Go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. If you love this show, show your support and go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R, ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Warren, how are you? I'm doing well, Paul. Perfect. Thanks for joining us, Warren. Uh, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Well, right now it's been about 48 hours. 48. So not very long. Glorious hours. Nice job, Warren. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. It's a you know it's it's an hourly struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I remember those times and it's something you know, one day at a time type stuff. It's like, hey, what about the hours and minutes at a time? So I've been there and I love these podcast uh-huh. episodes where we're really diving in. Uh, you know, listeners, Warren, you've had plenty of of sobriety time and uh, we're kind of back on the hamster wheel of addiction. I'm excited to talk more about that. And hear more about your story because you've had plenty of sobriety time in the past. We're going to talk all about that. Um, but give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay, I'm 40 years old. I am married. I've got a 20-year-old son and a 19-year-old bonus daughter that came with my most recent wife. And... Uh, right now, I'm the executive director of a domestic and sexual violence program, and I also own a sound company, and uh, work is really all I do. I, right now, I'm not doing much for fun, which is probably totally contributing to my to my drinking. Well, do, what do you do for uh, fun? Uh, well, I mean, I really enjoy the production work, setting up and mixing concerts. I like fishing. I like camping i like uh really anything outdoors yeah there you go and before we get any further yeah you know about your 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 background with your drinking you sent me an email on october 29th that said i wanted to share the most profound quote that i remember in recovery you said don't believe everything you think i love this quote i've covered this in depth in previous podcast episodes but i want to get your your input on this quote what do you have to say about it well, I think that for my whole life, I've always had negative thoughts about myself and negative thoughts about the way other people perceive me. And from what I've found is that putting substances in my body always helps ease those thoughts. And when I was in recovery before, that was something that just has always stuck with me that I, you know, just because I think it doesn't mean that it's true. And um, I just think that that's something that 
that really rang true with me. And I see people around me that struggle with things that they believe that they believe are true, but they're not. Yeah, about 10 episodes ago, I explored this more in depth, and uh, a guy named Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza, has a book called You Are the Placebo, and he dedicates a lot of time in that book to the human brain. He talks about how we have about sixty to 70,000 thoughts per day, and the majority of them, like the majority of them, are not true. He talks about how those thoughts, those moods, can then lead to personalities. That personality can basically lead to who you are for the rest of your life, all based on thoughts that were never true in the first place. So I'm sure we will circle the wagons and talk more about this further in this episode, but I want to hear more about your history and background with drinking. When did it start? When did you first realize it was an issue? Um, you, you, you shared some of it with me in the email. I want to talk about um, in October two, October 23rd, 2003, you were uh, T-boned by a drunk driver with no insurance, which landed you in the hospital for 17 days. And you were actually, I believe, sober or had already began your journey into sobriety at that point. But I'm already getting ahead of myself. Let's hear it from you. Yeah, take it away. Okay, so my drinking really started very young, you know, and it wasn't really anything very serious. My, you know, I would sneak a sip of beer if my parents were drinking, uh, and that was probably started around age five or so. And uh, my family's always been you know, very social, and uh, we were involved in politics. And when I was eight on election night, uh, my cousin and I were roaming around this hotel, and we came upon a bathtub full of champagne. And we both just parked in there, and I remember popping a bottle of champagne, and then I don't really remember much. So I feel like my first blackout, I was probably like eight years old. And from that point on, I always looked for something to make me feel feel different because growing up I always felt like I was different than everybody else and looking back I you know I had a friends and I hung out with really hung out with everybody but I always felt different and when I would put substances in my body that made me feel right so started about when I was a kid um, every chance I got I drank or use something and all through high school it was just you know opportunistic and then as i got into my into my late teens early 20s i was on my own and my son was born when i was 19 and i found a place where i could buy alcohol and so i was drinking all the time uh well then that led to more drugs led to drugs and led to led to lots of troubles uh so fast forward to about 2001 I was raising my son by myself and uh, not doing a very good job of it. I was drinking regular and saw that this had really become a problem by 2003. Mm -hmm. Well, in October 23rd, 2003, I said, well, I'm, I'm done drinking. I'm going to, you know, we're done. So my girlfriend and I went to get a movie and on the way back, we were in this terrible car crash that landed me in the hospital. So at that point, I obviously was not drinking, but they were pumping me full of morphine for several weeks. And then when I, it's, but as soon as I got out of the hospital, I started drinking again. Mm-hmm. And, and it just progressed to picking up other drug habits that just bankrupted my family and got to the point. By this point, I had married my girlfriend and she was really fed up with it. I think the, 
what really got me started into recovery was in 2006. I had a bad coke habit and I stopped doing it, just cold turkey. And that just sort of kicked off the alcohol, like kicked it in overdrive. And so I was drinking liquor daily and really just being a jackass to my family and nearly everybody that I was around. So the day before Thanksgiving of that year, I decided that I was going to to um, drink my turkey rather than eat it mm-hmm. and totally blacked out. And the next morning, Thanksgiving morning, I woke up in my yard covered with blood and I had no idea what was going on. It turns out that uh, someone had kill, killed a deer and I was determined on gutting it. And so it, there was no human damage done, but that, that episode threw me into recovery very fast. So I got hooked up with a counselor and got an intensive outpatient uh, intensive outpatient program. And this guy kept saying, Hey, have you ever thought about going to AAA? And I didn't know anything about it. I was 20, 28 maybe and I was driving 60 miles a day to this counseling thing and finally I said well okay well I'll try and I started going to a I went to my first AA meeting on Christmas day of 2006 and 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 I just you know got hooked because I I couldn't hold a cup of coffee still without spilling it and you know it was just it was terrible well and from that moment I was so dead set on recovery that that I went to at least two meetings a day for the next six months and then at least one a day for two or three years. And so that puts us up somewhere around 2010 or mm-hmm. 2011. Yeah, um, you said in 2008, 2009, you, you quit going to meetings completely and started smoking pot. And then, and then in 2010, you had a, you had a plan for, for suicide. Yeah, and so... So I'd stopped going to meetings and, um, and I'd started smoking pot. And in 2010, my wife at the time was fed up with me and she was leaving. And that just threw me into this terrible depression that had me feeling extremely suicidal. Um, and suicidal thoughts is something that I'd dealt with since I was probably 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd never been serious about it. And at this point, I was serious and my son called my brother who drove from Asheville, North Carolina up to where we live. And he talked me into going and checking into a hospital. So I was in, I was in a mental institution for uh, about a week to 10 days. And they got me on some medications and got me stabilized. And at this point I still, I wasn't drinking, but Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was not sober by any means because in my mind, sobriety is just a peace of mind. It's a calm, serene sense of being without substances. Mm-hmm. And I was using, I was using pot to, to get me there. So in, in this facility, I talked with a psychiatrist and she said, so when did you relapse? And really in my mind, I had not relapsed. And I said, what do you mean? I haven't had anything to drink. <laughs> and, um, then, you know, in talking with her and that's, we got more into, into talking about addictive behaviors and, and what it really means to be sober. And I'm, I'm totally in agreement that if you're, if I have to use a chemical to feel okay, then I'm not sober. So when I got through that episode, I 
you know, did some more follow-up for several weeks and got back into AA. So I'd still not drank, but I picked up a new chip because I'd realized that I wasn't sober. And I uh, ended up getting into a relationship with somebody in AA that ended terribly. And so I quit going. Okay. And then, so from 2006, to 2014, how much time do you think you had sober? Um, sober with no chemicals, I would sure. say two years. Gotcha. Gotcha. And before we cruise past this and, and bring it up to present day, I want to dive back into that from Thanksgiving day, 2006 to, you said sometime in 2008, 2009, when you stopped going to meetings, you know, what do you think it was? I mean, that's like two, two, maybe two and a half years of, of sobriety that, what do you think it was? I mean, did you say like, I got this or what transitioned you out of recovery? Do you think at that time? I was at a point where I was working all the time because I had all this debt. I mean, and when I say bankrupted, I, I did, I did not file bankruptcy. You know, I, I felt like it was my duty to pay back all this debt. And so I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and I was tired. And in 2008 gas got ridiculously expensive and meetings were 30 miles from where I lived. You know, I, I said, well, I've got, I'm good. I've got this. And, uh, so I just, quit going. I just, you know, dropped off the face of the map. Gotcha. And, and Warren, I want to read a line from your email and get your comment on this. You said in the last four years, I've recognized what those old timers told me about the progression of this illness almost 12 years ago when I first went to the meetings. They told me this was a progressive illness. And that if I started back, I would pick up where I left off rather than from the beginning. Yeah. So, and after rereading my email, it's, I don't think that I picked up from where I left off. I think I picked up from where, from as if I'd never stopped. Mm. Um, because when I, because when I started back drinking, it was as if the disease stayed with me and continued to get worse, even though I wasn't drinking. So I got a comment um, on that before, that actually goes hand in hand with the first line in your email. Don't believe everything you think in the previous podcast, I think two or three ago that I said, we're addicted to thinking. So you're 100% right on that, where it not only picks up where we left off, if thinking is one of our primary addictions, and I know it was for me, that thinking doesn't stop when I quit drinking. And so you're right. When I pick up drinking again, it's almost like I continue to drink the whole time. That's interesting that you mentioned that. I've actually never thought about that. So sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. Oh, no, that's just fine. Because that's, you know, when I heard that early on, I said, well, this, that's just crazy. You know, I mean, it's, with any other drug, it's, you know, if people come through opioid, when, you know, opioids, once you get through withdrawal, you're back sort of to a baseline. Whereas with, with this, with me anyway, it was, you know, it was very different because when I, when I started drinking again in 2014, I mean, it was the first night I drank anything. I drank two bottles of wine, you know, and, it, and it's that it's, it's like the allergy that they talk about that, you know, once that once I get a taste of it, then it sparks this craving in my mind. And I just that's insatiable. I just can't for whatever reason, I can't block. I can't not drink on my own. Yeah. And it's, and it, and it, and it's heartbreaking because I, I see so many people who can <laughs> so many people who can, you know, go and watch a football game and drink a beer and you know, if I, if I control my drinking, I don't like it, 
but if I like it, I can't control it. Yeah, that's quite the pickle. And when I read your email, it brought me right back to my 2014 where I kept telling myself that, oh, I I had 2.5 years of sobriety. I can do this again. And then I got to the point where I said, oh, shit, I don't know if I can do this again. And Warren, chat with you. I'm confident you're going to get back on this thing. But you're 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 in it right now, and I'm going to read something more that you wrote, and I want to get your your take on it. You said, uh, "I'm not entirely sure I can beat this illness again. I have some faith in my ability, but realize entirely that I cannot do this on my own." You said, "I will get there soon. I've promised myself and my wife, but I still stopped and pick up a pint of vodka today. It's not today. This is you know the email that came on October 29th, and about yeah. 36 hours seems to be all I can do on my own to stop drinking now." How are we gonna? How are we gonna get past this? What's your plan moving forward? Uh, my plan moving forward is to get get connected again with people. Right now in my life, I'm so wrapped up with work, and I've been so blessed in my recovery. When I started, I, I was working on a farm, and I decided that I wanted to go back. If I was going to go back to school, I knew I wanted to go back, and I wanted to help people somehow. So I went back to school and studied social work. And like when I graduated, I landed in a job that's paid to three times what I've ever made in my life. And but with that comes all this responsibility. And so I don't know exactly how to balance how to balance my work and my recovery. But I but I recognize that if I don't figure out some balance, I'm going to lose this job. (laughs) because I just I just can't do it and continue on the way that I'm do the way that I'm doing right now. Have you thought about jumping so, back into the to the AA the 12 step community back where you're at? I have I have thought about it and I, I'm I'm hesitant I think and that's because of the stigma that's associated with being an alcoholic or an addict uh, because in my current position part of my job is going and asking all the people with money to um, donate to my organization. And because I don't trust the anonymity of the rooms here, I'm hesitant about coming back. Now I have, I have printed out schedules for surrounding areas so that I won't be going. So I wouldn't be going to meetings like where I'm actively working. So that's, that's my plan is to get connected outside of my local area. I, I don't know how that's going to work. Sure. You know, now since you started this journey in the email says 2002, you were sober for about six months, 2006, you logged a couple of years. And so we, we've definitely got some sobriety time and, and let's drill into that. And what are some lessons that you learned about yourself? Like, what have you learned about yourself so far in this journey? So I think one of the first things that I learned about myself is that my belief that that there is a God that is much more powerful and all knowing and loving that cares about me. Uh, I think that's the first thing that I learned um, because I grew up in a church and I, all I ever heard about was a, was a damning God that because you don't do all this, that you're going to go to hell. So that's all I knew about God. And uh, when I read the chapter four of the big book, I realized that my my idea, what I believed, wasn't true, and um, that that having a relationship with a power greater than myself was was what it was going to take for me to be sober. 
and so I still foster that. And what's so strange is that, you know, I, I drink and pray at the same time. Um, so I'm realizing that the community of being around and supported by people who don't drink is one of the most necessary pieces of recovery for me. Yeah, and I also I kind of want to challenge part of your quote here. Don't believe everything you think. You mentioned earlier you're in a position of fundraising. Now AA is anonymous. How anonymous is it? I don't know. So what happens if you approach somebody and they're like, hey, I, I heard from the grapevine that you're in recovery, you're trying to get sober. I can't donate to your cause because of that. Do you think that will really happen? Serious. Yeah, I probably not. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Not. I don't I don't think it will either. And I, I think there's some, I, you know, I, there's, I own four businesses. Yeah, now, so some, keep, someone keep saying that, oh, I'm not going to donate because you're drunk, that, to be honest, that's probably more likely. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. You, uh, more on you, you, you smell alcohol in your breath. Like let's have this conversation tomorrow. Like I can understand that. I yeah. can see that happening. Um, but I, you know, but I understand this too. I've, I've got four businesses and all of them, me being open in my recovery has, has propelled the business forward. Obviously recovery all later podcast, but there's some other weird moments where I thought as a, as being a wedding DJ, if the wedding planners or the venue owners found out that I was in recovery, exact like the exact opposite happened we you know had these conversations with wedding planners things like that and yeah it was it totally opposite of what i thought was going to happen happened and I, I i challenge you to perhaps look at that you've already said it don't believe everything you think maybe if you are sober but are you and you are open about your recovery maybe shoot you might be able to raise more money just a thought yeah that's <laughs> that's a that's a very good thought yeah i mean let me program that in. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this, this is stuff that's much easier said than done. Um, well, let's talk about how we're going to get past that 36-hour hump. You know, when you get cravings, what do you do? Right now, you know, I'm listening to the Recovery Elevator podcast. And, uh, you know, I listen to it when I drive. I listen to it sometimes at my house. But right now, I've got, I've got to carve out some time when I'm not working. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. I'm, you know, looking again at a career change, and I, I just, I don't know, Paul, I, to be perfectly honest. No, Warren, I appreciate your honesty. That's what these episodes are all about. And the good news is this is what recovery looks like. You and I, Warren, we're we're not going to drink for the next hour. We're, we're 24 minutes in. but That's right. I don't think I've yet to drink <laughs> during an interview. And I think, I'm like 99% sure that there has not been an interviewee who has drank during a podcast. So this is what it looks like, man. Like this is just you and I right now. We're both staying sober and uh, it doesn't have to suck. Like I'm really enjoying this conversation with you, Warren. Yes. I'm enjoying it too, Paul. Yeah. This really, it's really been a long time since I've talked about recovery. Well, what and, would, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's what, maybe that's what I need to, to work on because early, if I was helping someone else stay sober, that helped me stay sober. And, you know, I really, I believe that's the answer. And here, here, I, I don't know what the answer is. And now I say, I believe what the answer is. So, Hey, Warren, I'm, I'm two Oh two episodes <laughs> into this thing right now and I'm still trying to find the answer. So that doesn't even matter, but <laughs> this is the answer, right? That's one of those things where like I've, I've, I've searched high and low for the answer. And then I'm like, wait a second, this is the answer. This is what it looks like. And, you know, I've got questions to guide people, but what do you want to talk about, Warren? What, what what do you want to talk about right now? I think I'd like to talk about how blessed I've been since starting 
this recovery journey. I mean, even though I'm not sober at the, well, I'm sober at this moment, but not much sobriety time. And since getting into recovery, it's, I've really been propelled into a world where I'm able to help other people. And sometimes I feel like I, even though I don't know what the plan is for my life, that's okay. So long as I'm not living my life about me. I think that's been the greatest, the greatest thing to see in recovery, because so long as I remove myself from a situation, things don't really have many problems. It's when I get thinking about what I want and what I need that I get all jacked up in my head and makes me think about drinking or using or, or really, um, it just, you know, it really messes up my, messes up my thoughts and messes up it just things in life go bad when I only focus on myself. And I think that in recovery, so long as I'm focused on others and being useful to another person, things get easier. And I think that may be why I have started drinking again, um, because I'm less directly involved with helping others or I feel direct, I feel less involved. I don't know if any of that makes any sense because I mean, I'm a social worker and I'm sort of helping people on a, on a larger, helping more people, but because I'm not helping individual people, I just feel disconnected and selfish and, um, you know, like, like life is getting out of control. Sure. Yeah. Warren, it, it made perfect sense. It is my job. If it does not make sense to guide you down another pathway, it made perfect sense. (laughs) Now here's something that I, I, I want to, I want to plant a seed with you is especially with guys like you and me, we are in these positions of helping people whether it's a cafe or you groups with podcasts, but, uh, but you need to get help too. And I reached a moment earlier this year in 2018, where I had somewhat neglected my own personal health and I was struggling. And so I, and I also reached a point I'm like, wait a second, I'm the guy that's got this podcast. I'm supposed to have it all figured out. I'm running these recovery groups. And there was a lot of pressure that I was putting on my own shoulders. It wasn't added pressure from members of my recovery community. It was all self-inflicted pressure, but there was almost so much pride that I wasn't able to admit that I needed help. And this year has been a tremendous amount of personal growth for me. I think of all the years of my sobriety, if I could graph it on a chart year four, boom, like skyrocketed. But, you know, I want you to know that you also need, you need help too. And, and that's totally fine. And have you found that you you've almost put yourself like on a pedestal saying it's my job to help other people. Like I'm good. I need to put up a facade. Like when are you going to get your help? Um, and that's, that is in the works. I've, um, I've, I've been researching some uh, counselors in this area and uh, you're exactly right because that's, that's what I've not done is taking care of myself. And had I, had I actually looked at, looked at my notes or looked at the show notes, that would have certainly been something that I, that I wrote down um, because like in taking this job four years ago, I didn't know what I was doing. I was making everything up as I go. And, you know, so I felt all this pressure that that I was putting on myself, you know, because things have gone great and we've grown and, you know, our budgets doubled or almost tripled in the last four years. And, but I put all this pressure on myself because I know I've got 17 people whose paycheck relies on me being able to do my job and, but I'm doing a good job, but I continue to put 
more pressure on myself and have not have not seeked help. Uh, there's a book that my mom used to make all of her teachers read. She was a principal at an elementary school, and it's called Have You Filled a Bucket Lately? Mm. And it talked about there's bucket fillers and there's bucket dippers. And, you, you know, if people are dipping out of your bucket, you've got to have something to fill your bucket. And that's that's sort of how I've been feeling lately or for a long time now is like, you know, my bucket is empty and I've not taken any steps to refill my bucket. Warren, I love how you said it there. And I found out my bucket was empty early to in early 2018 and now it's not empty. And and I want you to get the help you need. And there's this, this concept that I was kind of foreign to. And I heard of my brave talk was saying this, this guy was saying, yeah, dentists, they get cavities. My psychologist right now has a separate psychologist. My psychiatrist sees another psychiatrist. Recovery Elevator podcast guys need to talk to other people in recovery. Social worker guys <laughs> named Warren also need to talk to other people and get help. So we all need help. We're all in the same yeah. boat. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and you're you're doing a great job, Warren. Your your budget's doubling. That's not out of coincidence. You're kicking major ass in life. Um, two days of sobriety, a hundred days, of, it doesn't matter. You're doing great, just the way it is. And Warren, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions in thirty to sixty seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Warren. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Uh, my worst memories would be the mornings when I wake up and I don't have memories. Um, when I just wake up and I don't know how I got somewhere or why I'm there, uh, just those, those blackout lack of memories are the worst because I don't know. I don't even know who I need to apologize to. Um, yeah. I quickly find out, but, <laughs> but at the moment I don't. <laughs> they quickly approach me and let me know. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and next question. When was your, Oh shit moment indicating that you need to stop drinking? I think my, Oh shit moments have been sort of gradual moments entirely over the last 18 months or so, because I started putting in rules and say, no, well, I'm not going to drink liquor. And then the next thing I know, I you know, down a liter in in, uh, in a day or a weekend or, you know, and then, and then I put the rules in and I'm breaking them again. And I just, I can see this, I can see where it's going. And so that's, that was sort of my oh shit moments when I when I realized that the progression is real. And what's your plan in sobriety moving forward, Warren? My plan moving forward is to fill my bucket, is to make time for myself and get back involved in in a community of people who are trying to do this thing one day at a time without any substance. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, I think the best advice is was received today was you got to take care of yourself. Mm, I cool. Think, you know, thanks a lot. And, you know, and that's something that I've heard and that's something that I tell my staff and that's, I just don't practice it. Um, so that's, that's the best thing is that you got to take care of yourself. And you what, can't help anybody else if you're, if you're all jacked up. Yeah. And then what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners before we depart? I would say don't wait too long uh, because the longer you wait to, to get into recovery, the harder it is to stop and surround yourself with a community of people who are also not drinking and people who've done this, who have been, who have walked the walk, who drank like you drank 
and they've found a way to stay sober. And Warren, before we conclude our interview today, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line. I don't know, it could sound maybe like this. You might be an alcoholic if you wake up and you have blood all over your hands and it's not yours, ends up being a deer, and you thought it'd be a good idea to uh, gut a deer the night before. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking, Paul. Yeah, that, so I, see, I see it. Uh, <laughs> you, might be a, you might be an alcoholic if you if you wake up in the living room and you're naked and you're laying in the floor. Mm-hmm. Yep, that works. Warren, thank you so much for joining us. Please keep me in the loop in your recovery. Let me know if there's anything we can do to help. I will do that, Paul. Thank you, Warren. Thank you. Thank you. You might be an alcoholic if these ones come from Josh who just hit nine days sober. Nice job. You might be an alcoholic if you get a shot glass as a gift from your six-year-old nephew. You might be an alcoholic if you lose your shoes, glasses, and your banjo in a blackout. I've got a couple more from Philippe in Ontario. You might be an alcoholic if after starting to build a treehouse for your kids at the tail end of summer, you stop after two beams go up. And then when winter comes, your kids ask, hey, what about that summer treehouse, Dad? And you say, you know what, kids? Let's go ahead and start on building an ice fishing cabin. You might be an alcoholic if your wife tells you to rehang those Christmas lights you hung up while drunk. You might be an alcoholic if when you hear jingling in your pocket, you don't know if it's your keys or beer caps. Philippe also has nine days sober. Nice job. You guys, 2019 is going to be a kick-ass year. I know it. I can feel it. And I want you to be there with me. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 